Come celebrate 40 years of Unix at the Ohio Linux Fest from September 25th through the 27th. If you use GNU, Linux, BSD, OpenSolaris, or any Unix or Unix-like system, you belong at Ohio Linux Fest. Register free today at ohiolinux.org. Welcome to Linux in the Ham Shack. My name is Richard, KB5JBV. Thank you all for coming back once again. I myself wouldn't listen to a show like this, but thank goodness you're not me. Over in the corner is Russ. Say hello to everybody, Russ. Good evening, everyone. It's evening now. It could be daytime wherever you are, but this is Russ, K5TUX, from up in the north central Arkansas Pine Forest. Back to you, Richard. Just remember whenever you're listening to us, it's evening somewhere. Well, we've had a pretty productive week. We're getting backed up on stuff and uh, everything else. So we're uh, let me tell you, we got lots of content. We may actually reach our initial goal, which is episode 25. Doesn't mean we'll stop, but I had somebody ask me before we ever got started if I thought there was enough content to go 25, go uh, do a podcast like this one. And the fact of the matter is, ha. Anyway, uh, let's get started on some email. I think I'll hit do the first one because every time I call on Russ, he, he he's like, got his hands full. Hasn't checked his stuff yet. Something. I don't know. Well, let's do the first one. And this one's for you, Jeff, because I know you're listening. Uh, Jeff is kind of like my pseudo-adopted child, kind of, sort of. He's been a ham radio operator since he was 16 years old and... Uh, Holy mackerel, he's got to be getting close to 30 now. Uh, he writes, uh, okay, so I've jumped to Linux Mint. You mentioned on one of the podcasts you were getting close to syncing iPod with, with something. Have you gotten it yet? I've tried Banshee, Amarok, and one I can't think of. So far, not impressed with them. <laughs> I want to be able to subscribe and get my podcast as well as be able to sync and add to my music collection, which is just under 10,000 songs. I haven't tried it, but can iTunes run under wine doors? Uh, <laughs> I've gotten frustrated because even though I am pretty good with searches, all the information I, I keep finding is several years old. Catch up with you later. Thanks, Jeff. I sent Jeff an email back. 
if you start with iTunes, you use iTunes, you're not going to be impressed with the stuff that's available in Linux at this time. That doesn't mean it's not catching up and that it's not usable. It's just it's not going to be as complete a package as iTunes. And it's my understanding from my co-host over there, Mr. Applesauce, that, uh, in fact, the iTunes for the Apple runs better than the iTunes under Windows. Uh, the last iTunes I know of that ran under Linux was iTunes 7. And Apple figured out that uh, people were running it in Linux. They want everybody to run an Apple over at Apple. So uh, they worked on it, got it where it wouldn't run under Linux. However, let me turn it over to Russ and see what he's got to say about it. Go for it, Russ. What do I have to say about iTunes? Well, as an Apple user and a Windows user in some cases, I actually use iTunes, and I use it right now to sync up my pod or my ipods that is lately well actually during an episode of a recording i did a couple of days ago which we'll talk about in a few minutes i was turned on to another application that's supposed to be an itunes killer and it's called songbird now it's open source it runs on linux i believe mac os and windows i tried it under windows 7 and i haven't downloaded it for linux yet but it has plugins for all kinds of stuff, and when you fire it up, it looks a lot like iTunes. It actually does some things that are even cooler than what iTunes does. But from what I've seen so far, its support of iPods is a little limited. I was able to sync a couple of iPods with it, but I wasn't able to sync all of my iPods, and it definitely does not work with iPod Touches and iPhones. It only works with 5th Gen and before. So for me, it's not a replacement of iTunes yet. And what Richard was saying about how iTunes runs under Windows, it definitely seems to be a poor-performing resource hog under Windows and runs really, really nicely on Mac OS. And I'm guessing that was deliberate on the Apple developer's part. But Songbird is out there. I'm trying to work with it. I'm trying to see if it can be a nice replacement for iTunes. It does run under Linux, so it might be something you want to look at but right now it's not the replacement i hoped it was well there you go i'd completely forgotten about songbird i guess probably one of the reasons is that it's one of those that's hung up in that eternal mono battle and i try and stay away from that stuff simply because i don't want to hear hear all the grappling about it anyway there you go uh jeff go give a uh, songbird a try so let's see. Let's get through the short ones. Got a uh, tweet this week from M0GLG concerning uh, Echolink. And his comment was, uh, RE Echolink under Wine works with no real issues other than changing the sound device in and out. Haven't got a USB device working yet. So apparently there's a USB issue with Echolink as far as... Uh, as far as Linux is concerned, or Echo Link under Wine, but uh, other than that, it appears to work okay. Do you have any comments on that, Russ? Nope, because I wasn't paying attention. That's because he was dozing. That's right. And when he does, when he doesn't have his camera on, we can't see him dozing. We also can't see that fifth of scotch he's got sitting on the desk. But that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would be Crown Royal, and I only wish. And there you have it. Well, I'll let you talk a while. What you got on uh, on your mail smat? Well, I'll hit a short one first because uh, the ones I have over here are long. 
Not everybody's long-winded this week, but that's fine. But here's a short one. It was a comment on the website about episode number 20, and it's from Matt, KC8BEW. His comment, short that it is, says, You guys will be at OLF. That's great. I can get an eyeball QSO with you. Living only an hour away and working 20 minutes away, I'm going to be there too. And that's from Matt, KC8BEW. So not really much to say about that, but we're looking forward to catching up with you at, well, I guess I should say I'm looking forward to catching up with you at OLF, Matt. And if you get a chance, you can sit down with me. I'll have our audio equipment at the booth, and we'd like to get a short interview with you. So hopefully you pick up this episode and get in touch with me. Yeah, and I would be at OLF myself, unfortunately. I, it's a little bit far for me. However, I guess this is good op- good opportunity as anything else. I will be, for those of you who are traveling down to Belton, Texas in October, for the Belton Hammerama. Uh, Jerry Taylor and myself are both going to be down there walking around, chatting with people, shaking hands, that kind of stuff. So, uh, if you, if you miss Russ at OLF, then, uh, come on down to, uh, Belton, Texas and we'll, uh, we'll shake hands and, uh, talk about radios and point out to folks with the really weird haircuts. Yeah. Like you? I don't have to have a haircut. No, you don't have to my, now. <laughs> my head, my head is almost maintenance free. <laughs> I could never do that to myself. I don't have those long curly locks like yours. I have a sunroof. <laughs> <laughs> Why y'all think I wear this hat all the time? What you got over there? Well, I have a Google alert that came in a couple of days ago that showed that we were mentioned on a blog called Kicks Online, K-I-X-Online. And this is a links to amateur radio goodies on the web blog is what the tagline reads. Uh, from Jonathan Hardy. I don't think I have his call sign handy, but he's the author. And we did get mentioned in a post, a recent post, on August 30th. And our little bit goes, many people did, don't know, but I did a program for five years here in Hartford, Connecticut. About 40% of the program was devoted to open source software and Linux in general. One thing I learned on that show, not only can anyone learn to use Linux, but the OS is much easier than when I first started using it around nine years ago. I was glad to see a good amount of software available for Linux. Many of us already have an older machine kicking around. Why not learn something? If you're interested in learning about the Linux in the Hamshack podcast, check out their site at http blacksparrowmediacom stroke LHS. Really great resource. And he said, I found out that Richard, KB5JBV of the podcast Resonant Frequency, also does a podcast on Linux. He has a co-host, me, that brings a huge amount of Linux knowledge to the show, if he only knew. But anyway, thanks again to John, and I wish I had a call sign handy, but I don't. And if you want, go ahead and check out that blog, and we'll be posting it on our blog roll at some point when I get around to it, hopefully in the next couple of days. And that is KB1KIX.net. Y'all go by and see John's uh, page. He's got way more than just that one page over there. I've been roaming around in there and checking it out. I even liked it so much, went ahead and friended him over on Facebook. So uh, y'all go check that out. And this uh, this would be a good opportunity. I think I'm going to put a page up somewhere that uh, call a Russ a Russ campaign because... Uh, all you folks out there listening, 
His name is Russ. Don't call him the other thing, because he might hurt you. I might get upset. See how see how it is? I'm so tired I didn't even bother to look in the address bar and realize that his blog has his call sign in it. <laughs> well, that's okay, because I wasn't going to say anything. No, you just you just did it subtly. <laughs> what are friends for? <laughs> All right, you go and do the next one. I know you're raring to go. Okay, Russ says I can do one now. Okay, the next one we've got is uh, comes from the forums over at BlackSparrowMedia.com from uh, John, E-I-7-I-G. John writes, Hi, I've just come across the LHS podcast, episode 20, but I've gone back to the start to listen to them all. So pardon me if I go slightly off topic in this post. Zastar. What What is in the repositories is generally pretty good to start with. However, to build from source is, as Brian2000 suggests, and that's another uh, gentleman in the, in the forums over there, y'all go check them out, suggests the best way. To assist this, Zastar users have created fairly detailed installation notes for various distros. Also, concerning uh, Winlink and Telpak, check out Linux RMS. I maintain two Linux Telpaks in my local area. It works pretty well. As I'm listening to episode four, you're talking about Wine. Airmail, the Windows Winlink client runs quite well under Wine. And we did make a mention in episode four about, uh, not episode four, in one of the episodes about uh, Airmail may possibly running under Wine and we hadn't checked it out and that kind of good stuff, but... Uh, I think we talked quite a while on wine on in episode. Now, between episode 4 and episode 19, you may have covered all this, so apologies if you have. Regards, D.E. John, E-I-7-I-G. Well, thank you for all that good information, John. In fact, I've been working on working with uh, Zastar this week trying to uh, uh, see what I could get going with it. I knew they were working on a RMS for the uh, Linux operating system but uh had not had a chance to uh take a look at that in fact i kind of threw my hands up in the air because i got tired of messing with steve and rick over there because they talked me into uh, uh building two purpose-built machines and then purchasing two copies of an operating system i really don't like and then when i did all that and did everything they requested they wouldn't give me the software i needed so we will check into all of this and check this out yes uh Definitely, definitely going to uh, see if we can't get y'all some information on the APRS because there's a lot of y'all wanting that information. So you got anything on that, Russ? No, because it's been pointed out by myself over the last several episodes of this show that I know nothing about APRS or Zaster, so I'm not going to say anything. Well, there you go, because Russ doesn't want people to know where he is. So what else you got, Russ? I think I'm out of ammunition. Oh, wait a minute. I got one more, but you go ahead. Well, I've got long ones, so I guess we'll go with the first one I've got. This one's from Clay, K6AEP, and this one came as an email to me, so Richard doesn't have this one, so here we go. I'm listening to session 19 right now. I have been using computers and ham radio for many years. I was very active in the 1970s and 1980s writing software. However, I've slowed down a lot since I'm in my 70s. I even gave a few talks on using computers and ham radio at the West Coast Computer Fairs in San Francisco in the 1970s. 
I published a few articles on this subject in QST, etc. in the 1980s. I've been using Linux exclusively for about five years now. I hate Windows and avoid it like plague. That's an attitude that some of us seem to take. Richard and I are not quite as exclusionist about it, but we know a lot of people are. He says a couple of comments. Number one, have triple EPCs model 1000HE and 702. It is possible to use lots of applications not written for the small screens on a 7.2 with a 7-inch screen. I use triple Ubuntu 3.0, which has been written for the triple EPC. Hold down the Alt key, and you can move the screen around to fit. He posts the link to where you can get triple Ubuntu, which is www.eeebuntu.org. He also says, number two, Crossover 8 has allowed me to totally avoid using Windows except for a couple of Windows applications. One application I'd like to get 100% functional on Linux is Echolink, written for Windows. It seems to install without a problem except the mic audio doesn't work. I can attach to the test server okay and I can receive audio okay, but the mic is a problem. I've tried the following distributions and variants. SUSE 10 and 11, CentOS 4 and 5, Slackware 12.2, Ubuntu, Mint, Extreme Ubuntu, and Debian. I've tried all sorts of hardware, at least five different motherboards, and two models of triple EPC. Currently, I have five desktops in the Hamshack, all networked together using a variety of motherboards, Asus, Gigabyte, Shuttle, etc. In the past, I did play with a version of Echolink for Linux. I was able to compile it, but it was rather primitive and dropped it. I currently like the Ultimate Linux Edition 2.3. It's a variant of Ubuntu 9.04. I like it better than Mint 7. And there's a PS here. I lived in San Jose for about 40 plus years, enjoyed some of your comments on the podcast, and that was in reference to my OzCon updates from a couple episodes ago. And that again is from Clay K6AEP. And the thing about the small screen on the triple EPCs was something I was going to address in a screencast, which I'm going to get to eventually, I promise, which has something to do with uh, being able to see virtual desktops that are actually larger than your physical screen. And while triple EPC versions of the software have that kind of functionality built in, if you're not running a triple EPC version of software, there are still ways to do it, and I definitely want to get that information out there, especially if you want to do like what I'm doing, which is run Linux Mint on a triple EPC, which doesn't actually have a small screen version. So I'm going to get around to that. And then there was talk about Echolink. We've talked about running Echolink under Wine and under Codeweaver's crossover office, or crossover as they're now calling it. We've had pretty much a your mileage may vary experience with it. Some people get it to work perfectly. Some people like Clay have problems with it. So just try it out, see if it works for you, if Echolink is the thing you're wanting to try. The Echolink thing, you know, just about anything it has to do with sound cards, guys, or uh, audio, you know, the audio system where the Linux distributions are concerned are kind of in flux right now, you know. We used also for a long time. Now Pulse is coming into its own. It's had its own particular issues. And as far as the triple E's, I haven't had my hands on one, so I can't really speak intelligent. Well, I couldn't speak intelligently about it if I had had him had my hands on it. But I can say that I haven't had a chance to play with one, so I really don't know that much about them. Take it away, Russ. Oh, we're going on to the next one because I was done with that one. Sure. 
All right. Well, let's see what I've got next. I have a comment on an article from the website, and it's from Gary, M0TXD, Mike0TXD. And his comment is, Hi, guys. Great show. I came late to the podcast and in the process of listening to all the episodes. I have just installed Ubuntu on my Hamshack PC, which has four serial ports. However, I can't get them to open. When I run GRIG with the following command line, I get the following message. Failed to open rig port slash dev slash TTY S0. When I run LS minus L slash dev slash TTY S0, he gets the output that he should get. He doesn't sign off on this email, but anyway, that one was from Gary, M0TXD. And I'm going to tell Gary on the podcast and in a subsequent email how to fix this problem. Uh, the problem is permissions, just like the output suggests. If you look at the slash dev slash TTY S0 permissions, you'll see that it has read-write permissions for root and read-write permissions for the group dialout. Well, the problem is your user, whichever user that happens to be, is not a member of the group dialout. So you don't have permissions to any of your serial ports. So there's a simple way to fix this, but it does involve going to the command line. So what you do is you open up a terminal, and at the command prompt, type sudo space add group space your login space dialout. Hit return, log out, or restart your X session, whichever you happen to be doing, and log back in. And when you do that, you will be a member of the dialout group, and you will have permissions to use your serial ports, and G-Rig should work appropriately. You can also manually edit the slash Etsy slash group file and put yourself as a member of dialout, then log out and log back in. But the ad group is probably the easier way. So that's uh, that's the way to fix that, and I will encapsulate that in an email and send it to you as well. That just goes to show y'all, I should probably pick up the phone and give Russ a call because I beat that to death for about a day and a half over here. However, I don't have anything else, Russ, but... Uh, if you add a stopping point, maybe we ought to let these folks take a short break and uh, let them listen to some music. All right, we can throw some music on the old turntable and come back on the other side, and I've got just a few more things to wrap up, and then we've got an interview, and Richard knows with who, and I'm in the dark. Well, I'm in the dark, too, but we'll be right back. I don't care if it's the day of nowhere to go to anyway. It don't matter what I do I feel like this until I'm through My hair's a mess, my clothes are old My car don't always work, but that's not why Think of 
much wraps up email and um russ you said uh maybe you got something laying around over there you want to talk about a few minutes yeah i do have a couple of things i just wanted to bring up the first one is that i was invited by Klaatu over at linux cranks to uh join with him in the fourth roundtable episode of hacker public radio we seem to be getting a little bit of exposure from the guys at the cranks so i just wanted to mention that we did our recording on Friday evening, and it's a roundtable discussion on what Linux applications you would find on the average user's desktop if you happen to walk by and look and see what they were using. So it's a discussion on what those invited to talk on the roundtable thought were the most useful and the most common Linux applications on the desktop. And they didn't have anything that was ham radio specific, but we were mentioned a couple of times in that roundtable. So if you want to go over to Hacker Public Radio when that comes out, and I'm not sure when it will be, I was on there, and I'm not even sure how long that episode is going to turn out to be. I think we recorded for a couple of hours, but HPR shows tend to wind up a lot shorter than that. And I think we are going to be on Hacker Public Radio again at some point in the future. We've got a couple more episodes we're going to do in a sort of prepared way at some point, even though I'm not exactly sure what the topics will be other than the one about open source and amateur radio users. Is there anything you wanted to add to that before I move on to the next thing? Uh, if you're talking about Hacker Public Radio, roundtable number four is currently available at Hacker Public Radio. Y'all go over and check their site out, y'all. Runs about 54 minutes and 46 seconds, according to what I've got over here. Uh, so they got that one out pretty quick. It, they normally have a two-week release cycle over there. It takes about two weeks from the time they record to the time it hits the uh, feed. But uh, if that's the one you're uh, you're referring to, then it's already out and available for everybody. 
Well, good. I'll have to get a dose of my own narcissism in there and go over and listen to myself talk some. I, I listen to every show. <laughs> okay, I just had a couple other things I wanted to mention. The first was that I, I'm not going to speak for Richard unless he chimes in and agrees with me, but at least from my perspective, I have decided to officially endorse Linux Mint as a sponsor from Linux in the Ham Shack. Now, I don't know if Richard, you know, he, Richard didn't have anything to do with that, but if he thinks it's a good idea, then I, we can call it an official sponsorship if that's good. As far as the podcast is concerned, it can be official in my opinion, too. It's one of the best uh, distros out there. I don't use it myself, but it's mainly because of actual usability for me because I prefer good old-fashioned GNOME. But uh, from what I've seen and what little I've used it, it's fantastic and getting better and with any luck we might be able to talk clement into coming on and talking to us yeah i'd like to do that i'm going to try and get around to that here pretty quick our information and our logo and everything will be going up on the linux mint site as an official sponsor of linux mint pretty soon so look for that and try out linux mint if you haven't already it's not like you have to use it if you don't like it but definitely try it if you haven't if you're getting into Linux fresh off of some, one of the other operating systems, then uh, it's one of the best ways to go. You know, Ubuntu used to be the best, but now it's getting where you have to kind of finagle it a little bit. But they do their best to make sure that everything's ready to go out of the box over at Linux Mint. So uh, unless you're a, an old-time Linux user that's got, uh, got that uh, it's-got-to-be-free software issue going on, then Linux Mint is the one. All right, and I had one more thing I wanted to mention, and that was a new feature that's on the website. If you haven't seen it already, go to the website at lhsinfo.org or blacksparrowmedia.com stroke lhs, and on the right-hand column, second feature down from the top, it says streaming audio, and there are two audio streams. They're both in AUG format, so you need a streaming video or streaming media player that will handle augs and some of those that you can use are vlc totem new versions of totem newer versions of m player and potentially lots of other different things itunes will also work if itunes is your thing i didn't try it in songbird i don't know if songbird does streaming or not but anyway get yourself a streaming media player and click on the two links one of which is called lhs music and what it is is a 24-hour, seven-days-a-week stream of all of the music from the podcast, including the music that I downloaded that didn't make it into any of the podcasts. Plus, there's a few other secret favorites of mine that are in there, too. Everything that's in there is Creative Commons, so there's no proprietary music or anything else in there. So definitely check that out if you get a chance. And the other one is going to be a random mashup of different... Linux in the Ham Shack episodes. I'm just going to put random ones in there. And the stream runs 24-7, seven days a week, so you can get your fix of Linux in the Ham Shack anytime you want, hear random old episodes, and I'll probably even put stuff in there from the unedited feeds. Oh, no. Hopefully that'll be uh, interesting to somebody, but I just wanted to play around with streaming media, and that seemed like a good way to do it. So if you like the music, there's a stream for that, and if you like to hear... Some oddities and rarities from the show. There's a stream for that. They already think I'm just a pretty face. If they ever heard all of it, we'd be in trouble. I should probably put up that the unedited stream is not clean. 
<laughs> so I should probably mention that, but don't don't play it around your kids, your boss, or your chicken. <laughs> exactly, you, especially your but chicken. But if you download some of this stuff, you can listen to it on your sense of clip. It plays aux. Yeah, and I could have swore I had some announcements, but I don't remember what they were. And I really don't care because we'll be doing this again in two weeks, so I can talk about them then. Uh, y'all don't forget about Ohio Linux Fest, by the way. And uh, with that, I guess we'll go ahead and move on. We're a little, little short on this particular uh, segment. Well, we could probably go ahead and start out with our interview. It'll probably take us a minute to get fired up, and then we can jump into it afterwards. I will also say that, you might want to definitely come to Ohio Linux Fest if you can, because not only will I be there, but I have official Linux in the Hamshack swag. Really? Yep, I ordered a bunch of swag, and I've so, got a couple of other things on the burner that I'm looking into to bring so with me. a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get a t-shirt that's big enough for you. I don't. Uh, I got just uh, average size folk t-shirts right now. Uh, that would be rust size. <laughs> I only wish yet again. <laughs> I'm doing a lot of wishing on this show. Well, it happens. It happens. There is a question in the chat room from Ustreamer29065 who says, How do I change from Ubuntu to Mint? Well, there's a couple of ways to do it. There's the forklift upgrade version of how to do it, which is to download the Mint ISO and install it on your machine. That may or may not be the easiest way. The other way to do it's a little more complicated, but it involves not having to wipe out your entire machine, and that would be to get the sources.list file from a Mint installation. And, of course, if you're going to be using Mint 7, you're going to want Ubuntu 9.04 on the back end. But if you download that sources file and update your repositories and then do an apt-get dist-upgrade, you will convert Ubuntu to Mint. And I tried that on one machine, and it worked pretty well. There were a couple of package conflicts that you have to manually handle. So probably not the way to go for the faint of heart. The best thing to do is just download a copy of Mint and do the install. And if you've got your disks partitioned where all of your home data is on its own partition, you can do the install and convert to Mint without wiping out what you've got. But if it, if you don't, if you've got everything under the root, you're going to have to back up first. I recommend backing up either way, but definitely if you don't have your own home partition. And that's the way I work it. In fact, the uh, server over there has got, uh, I think, 10 gigs on either side of the other 250 and... I just jump back and forth between those two partitions with the operating system because the bulk of the drive is my home directory. And that way I can upgrade and never have a problem with it. Another comment on Mint was that it uses GNOME. Well, it's a custom GNOME. I don't use Mint because I don't care for it. However, it's great for somebody that's just starting. Okay, and that pretty much wraps up the feedback. And uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to talk to Paul from over at Teen Radio Journey Podcast. Paul's uh, taking us on his journey on his way to getting his ticket. So y'all hang around a minute, and we'll be right back with Paul.
Okay. Just like Linux Mint, Russ's music is always refreshing. Uh, we'd like to welcome to the show Paul, currently with no call sign. And we're not going to do the N0CALL uh, joke. But Paul has a uh, podcast called Teen Radio Journey, which he is uh, chronicling his adventures in uh, studying and attempting to get his ham radio ticket. And uh, welcome to the show, Paul. Good to be here. I've heard uh, I've heard about your show from over at Jerry Taylor. I really haven't had a whole lot of time to get around to listening to it right now. I have a lot on my a lot on my plate as far as podcasts I listen to every week, trying to keep up. Won't you tell us a little bit about uh, about Teen Radio Journey? Well, I started the podcast after I'm starting to listen to ham radio podcasts for about a few weeks, and I decided I wanted to start doing one, but I had to decide what I was going to do it on, and Finally, I decided, since I didn't have a ham radio license yet, to start one about my journeys with getting one. And when I do get my license, I'm just going to continue the podcast with what I'm doing as far as amateur radio. Well, there you go. And, you know, that's one of the best topics for amateur radio is... uh the uh, entry-level thing and progressing through the hobby. I mean, uh, Jerry Taylor does a show exactly like that. He started his podcast about the same time. Uh, yours is even better because it's starting before you even have your ticket. So uh, you can uh, examine some of the issues involved in getting that taken care of. Uh, my other show, uh, Resonant Frequency, is also geared towards the new ham radio operators, even though I've been licensed for quite some time. Russ has been licensed for quite some time, too, but he knows everything there is to know about amateur radio. We've proven that that's not true. Uh, it is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's start back at the beginning. How long have you been working on your ticket so far, Paul? About a month now. Are you doing anything in an organized way for instruction or anything? Are you attending classes, or are you doing it all by yourself? Well, I have the Gordon West material, and I also listen to the Ham Radio Pod pod Class. That's another podcast. Well, that would be one of your buddies, wouldn't it, Russ? The Ham Radio Pod Class? Yeah, doesn't Mike Dell do that? Oh, that's right. That's right. That's Mike Dell up in uh, Traverse City, Michigan, the Ham Radio operator and fellow podcaster who just started doing that. I guess he's doing it with a buddy of his up there. I don't remember the name. I've actually listened to a couple episodes of that. I completely forgot, but thanks for reminding me. Doesn't hurt to give Mike a plug. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing a lot of good work up there. There's a lot of ham radio operators coming into the hobby because of his show. Well, all right. Uh, what got your interest most about amateur radio, Paul? Well, I actually bought a CB radio, but that's pretty much useless. There's nothing on there to really listen to, so I've really all always been interested in stuff around that line and someone from my church actually got me into it we just started talking about it and he gave me a few web links to look at so that's how i got started with it uh, another elmer running loose in the churchyard they're the best kind to have chances are he's probably interested in your progress also yeah he listens to the podcast too and we talk every sunday about how it's going you're probably giving you some points and tips, and uh, if you have questions, you, you're able to bounce them off of him. Our listeners, for the most part, well, at least the ones here in the chat room tonight, uh, most of these guys fairly seasoned and know what's going on. 
say you started with CB radio. You know, I started way back with a, uh, Halicraft or shortwave receiver. I thought it was really cool to be able to listen to radio stations from the other side of the world. However, I did, uh, <laughs> I did do my time on that band. They bashed me enough, so I don't want to say I was on it, but <laughs> we've all done time on that band and, uh, uh, it has died out over the years, but amateur radio is up and going. What kind of uh, topics are you covering? I know you're talking generally about your journey uh, towards getting your ticket and stuff, but uh, are there any topics in particular that you've covered? Um, all kinds of stuff. I've talked about other podcasts. Um, my first two episodes I actually released on the same day. One was just like an intro episode, and then the second one was actually an interview I did with a friend of mine that's a ham. Uh, that'd be Phil, right? KC2TPY? Yeah. Like I said, I haven't had a chance to listen to him yet. I will make sure I get them downloaded and uh, and take a listen. But uh, we can always use more ham radio podcasts out there. Uh, I'm sure that uh, you've been somewhat impressed and maybe not so impressed with some of the ones that are out there. I know one that's really bad. It's called Resonant Frequency, the Amateur Radio Podcast. <laughs> Available at Resonant Frequency or RFPodcast.info. Uh, but I wouldn't know anybody that would have anything to do with something like that. <laughs> <laughs> if, if only we could get that guy to release an episode now and again, we might listen to it. Well, he was supposed to release it today, but he had something else to do. <laughs> uh, anyway, Paul's really active on Twitter also, and... <laughs> I see him in there. I didn't, um, I'm sorry, Paul. You know, sometimes you ask questions on there. I don't even realize that you're a, you're a teenager and trying to, trying to learn the information because there's so many people on there and it just, uh, goes and goes and goes. Well, while I'm thinking about it, what are some of the, uh, other podcasts that you're listening to that you're finding, uh, valuable information in? I mean, we don't mind, but we're one of the few podcasts that don't mind talking about other podcasts because, uh, we have that ham radio thing going on, and we want everybody to be able to get all the good information they can get. Well, the ones I listen to the most are yours and then Jerry's podcast, the Practical Amateur Radio Podcast. I also watch um, Chris Matthews' video podcast, Ham Brief. Well, you know, Chris has got uh, got a pretty good one going on over there, and uh, that combined with 73s.org and some of the others, is uh, they're really outstanding. And Jerry, Jerry's got a really top-notch podcast over there. I wish for, I wish from time to time, I could be as professional as Jerry is. You know, when he started out, uh, he was over here asking questions too. But come think of it, you haven't asked us any questions yet. Oh, now you're putting him on the spot. That's, that's no, not I'm not good. putting him on the spot. I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, you're talking to me. Oh, I see. You want me to ask questions? <laughs> <laughs> So what do you have an eye to do when you get your ticket? Uh, what what class are you shooting for? And when you wind up with whatever class you wind up with, you know, what do you plan to do with your amateur radio license? I'm actually going to buy my HT next week and just start listening to some of the repeaters around here. We have a lot of two-meter repeaters in the area. Um, when I get my technician license, I'm probably going to go on Echolink and make my first contacts with some of the hams i already know real well it's always a good way to start you talk to your friends you talk to the ones that uh you know 
And then you get on there. I mean, when I first got licensed, I talked to my dad and his friends. And he kind of expanded from there. And now I just run my head to anybody that will listen. In a way, I kind of feel a little bit cheated starting a little earlier in the hobby. Now you can do worldwide communication using 2 meter and 70 centimeter, where when I started, things like Echolink were not around or in their complete infancy. So you had to be at least a general class to get your HF privileges. So you're lucky, you know, that you can you can talk around the globe on two meters nowadays with uh, VOIP technology. Yeah. And, you know, and and here's that interesting story. I don't know if I've told it on this show or, or it was the other show, but when I first got licensed, we had a 10-meter repeater here. I, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and we had a 10-meter FM repeater here. And because of the size of the duplexers on a 10-meter repeater, uh, instead of putting duplexers on it, they decided to uh, separate the transmitter and the receiver. So one was in Dallas, one was in Fort Worth, and they were linked together on a 440 link. So when uh, I upgraded to technician, that that gave me uh, privileges on the uh, 440 or 70-centimeter band. And uh, me and some of the others, we would get on there and transmit on the 440 link and receive on a scanner on 10 meters and be able to work people all over the world with a technician class license, which at that time really didn't have a lot of privileges with it. Boy, you're a cheater. <laughs> you know, I cheated a little bit, a little bit. No, that's okay. Bit. That's, that's industrious, the industrious nature of the ham radio operator. Get her done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm just surprised you got to use 10 meters. I have in, in all the time I've had my ticket, I have not once ever made a contact on 10 meters. Well, that's one of the things that's uh, enjoyable also, Paul. You're going to find out all about this stuff. You know, there's a lot of clubs and organizations out there that you can belong to that uh, it's really a lot of fun. There's ways to chase paper to put up on your wall. Has anybody talked to you about that? Um, my friend from church has talked to me about some of the clubs available around here, but nothing else really. Well, you know, you have things on, uh, like we're talking about 10 meters, you have things on 10 meters like uh, 1010 International, which is an organization, uh, it, not so much a tightly knit organization, but a way for people to pass uh, certificates back and forth to each other. And uh, when the bands are open, you can talk all over the world. I mean, you can really rack up... Uh, really rack up the contacts uh i myself uh have a 1010 number and in fact got on one net one time and racked up enough points for that particular uh chapter or sub club as it were to uh, qualify for every one of their awards just by showing up for one half hour net so are you interested in uh in sideband or uh cw or digital communications at all or has Yelmer gotten around to showing you any of that stuff? I think CW would probably be neat, just how you can get a lot farther with Morse code. Um, my uncle, who he's actually extra class, but he, he's fallen away from the hobby, sort of. He doesn't really use it anymore. He used to have a, um, a like 100-foot tower in his backyard, and he was always talking on CW with people. CW is a great mode, and it's underappreciated these days, so I'm glad to hear that you're one of the people who's still interested in it. 
Well, it's nice to know that the new guys are actually taking an interest in it, and it's actually having a little bit of an upsurge at this point. Uh, it's funny how all the people that used to want to get in the hobby that didn't want to have to take a CW test are now <laughs> operating on CW. In fact, I know one guy who wasn't even going to get his license, wasn't even going to get his license because he had to take a five-word-a-minute uh, code test. They dropped it, he got his tech, and now he operates regularly at over 20 words a minute. CW is great. You can really reach out there and touch somebody and during really bad conditions with that. Digital doesn't pique your interest. You know, I'm a digital guy, so i got to ask that question. I, I don't know much about the digital modes, actually. Well, then we're going to have to make sure that you learn. Put that on the list, Russ. More digital modes. Well, I can learn along with them because I'm not into the digital modes either. I do all analog mode. You, you know, I do uh, phone single sideband cw that's pretty much it although if i ever get my rig back up i would like to try psk just because i'm on a, a worked all states net and they have a psk mode you know they they do it under psk as well as uh phone so i would like to get on there and operate psk sounds like century club yeah, Century Club. I wasn't going to plug them, but all right, we'll plug them. Century Club. <laughs> well, I talked about 1010. You can talk about Century Club. <laughs> yeah, the Century yeah. Club's really neat. And if uh, you ever desire to work all states and do a lot of DX work as well, Paul, you definitely want to check out the Century Club. I actually read a neat story in the um, Gordon West Technician class book um, about... After Hurricane Katrina, a few hands used a flashlight to, like, blink out Morse code to a helicopter person so they could help rescue people. Oh, yeah. Well, awful lot of stories out of Katrina. An awful lot of them. And, in fact, that's something else you, you may be interested in when you finally get your license is emergency communications. There's Aries groups, Racies groups all over the place. And, Paul, I'm sorry, I didn't even ask you what part of the country you're in. Peoria, Illinois. Illinois. All right. You know, they got a lot of good groups up that direction uh, as far as emergency communication. And the great thing is there's no tornado. Well, there's very few tornadoes and there's no hurricanes. <laughs> but there's a lot of great stories that came out of Katrina, Rita, uh, Andrew, which was a long time ago and a lot of others and one of the things we do as amateur radio operators is work with some of these other organizations i'm a member of uh one called saturn which is the salvation army team emergency radio network and we supplement uh our volunteer to do communications for the uh, salvation army and some of their work around the area i believe uh up in illinois are pretty pretty heavy up there unfortunately down here it's mostly red cross there's also another organization here local, which uh, I've spent some time in. In fact, we operated their radio station for them during Katrina, and that would be the Texas Baptist Men. And they've got chapters all over the place, but they've got a pretty serious relief organization going on over there and a great radio station. There's just uh, so much stuff to do in the hobby. Paul, that you say you're going to keep that podcast going after you get licensed. Well, you've got a lot of material to work with, let me tell you. Yeah, we get a lot of winter weather out here. I remember last winter we had a ice storm that knocked out internet and cable for like three days. We actually had a tree fall on like 
the front portion of our house. It knocked out a corner of the garage. Um, the interesting thing is it took the power line and the cable down, but we still had power and cable. But uh, the TV and Internet was down for three days, which was pretty much our main communication. So if I had ham radio back then, I would have used that to see what's up with people. Well, there you go. And we were talking about Jerry Taylor recently. It hadn't been uh, too many episodes back over at his podcast that he was talking about uh, an article written by a gentleman that uh, had to do with being without power for like a week or something like that and all the uh, preparation he had done beforehand, which helped him get through. That's the deal. Emergency communications is uh, definitely something that uh, all amateur radio operators ought to do, at least in a, a small way. So, uh, have you looked into any radio equipment? Uh, anything out there that interests you uh, in particular? I'm actually going to be purchasing that Alinko DJ-175TE. It's a 5-centimeter and 2-meter radio. It's it's actually only $94, and I'm going to get that sometime within the next week. Well, I've had one or two Alinkos, and they're not, uh, not too terribly bad radios. In fact, I had... Uh, had one that, uh, what was it, a DJ580 dual bander that I had in my truck for, or, uh, had in my van for a long time. The great thing about it was I didn't have to fool with pushing buttons and doing combinations or nothing. There was a switch on the top to turn it into a crossband repeater. And, uh, uh, for everybody that listens to the show regularly, Richard's pretty simple. So if there's a switch there, just plain as the nose on your face, that always works for Richard. So y'all remember that. Uh, Christmas is coming. <laughs> I'd actually like to start building J-pole antennas when I get into the into amateur radio and get my ticket. The problem is um, the neighborhood we live in, you pretty much have to go to go get a permit for any stuff you put up on your house. So it might be a problem getting that up. Well, you know, J-poles have been known to work uh, reasonably well just stuck in the middle of the yard. So <laughs> you could probably give that a try. And there's lots of ways to disguise antennas. You know, uh, there's a lot of folks out there that have had, had to try and get really innovative in the way they uh, they put their antennas up so that they don't have to worry about neighborhood associations and that kind of stuff. And I'm sure you'll figure a way, figure out a way. You need to get yourself a flagpole antenna. There's that 50-foot push-up pole looming large again. <laughs> I had a, had a guy I worked with, Paul, that was uh, he was general. He got to uh, complaining to us about they wouldn't let him put any antennas up in his neighborhood. I was sitting there talking to him one day while we weren't really doing anything. I said, will they let you have a flagpole? He looked at me and said, yeah. I said, okay, here's what you do. You get one of them soda bottles, which that was before they went to all plastic on the on the Coke and Dr. Pepper bottles. I said, you get you one of them soda bottles, and you take that styrofoam label off of it and fill it up with sand. Go get yourself a 50-foot push-up pole and a ground rod. Drive the ground rod in the ground. Attach the braid to the ground rod. Attach the center conductor to the pole. Set it on top of that glass bottle, and put you a little teeny tiny flag, American flag on the top of it, and run it up by by the side of your house. Well, he did that, and uh, he had one or two people ask him about it because the flag wasn't really big, very big. But uh, they didn't make him take it down, and he worked uh, quite a few, quite a few DX stations using that flag that 
old 50 foot push-up pole loaded up and uh, uh, nobody could uh, give him a hard time because it was a flagpole now see we're giving you evil thoughts on it (laughs) (laughs) well i'm kind of curious since he doesn't have his ticket yet what information he's finding particularly useful from our podcast since we're about linux in the ham shack and he doesn't yet have a ham shack I've been using Linux since Ubuntu 6.04 was around. My dad and I actually built a Linux file server. It's about two years old now that we still use. It's like four hard drives. and the, I think the neat thing about Linux is it just works. Um, with the file server, we basically restart it twice a year just to clear out the memory, but that's about it. So I I like listening to any podcaster about Linux. What do you, what do you do with your Linux machines? The usual. I run all the internet stuff on them, basically to browse the internet. I've actually recorded a few podcast episodes on them. I I'm gonna try some of the ham radio programs when I do get my license within Linux Mint and maybe download Hamshack. No, not um, Shackbox Linux. Ooh, Shackbox. All right. Herb, you got another convert or something. <laughs> See, we got him by default because he listens to Linux podcasts and the word Linux sucked him in. <laughs> no, I'm sure I'm sure he heard, probably heard Jerry talk about us or, or somebody else. I just typed in Linux podcasts, and it was one of the first three to come out, so I clicked on it and... Sweet. Decided to listen to it. <laughs> That's because we pay people off down at Google. Are we? <laughs> All right. Now, I'm going to have to do that now. Let's see. Linux podcast. <clears throat> Linux. Uh-oh. Now you got Russ interested. Yeah, I want to see where we show up on this thing. I don't see no. us in the top three. Yeah, I, I searched on iTunes, not Google. Oh, on iTunes. Yeah. yeah. Last okay. time I checked at iTunes, we were like top three. Well, sweet. Top three on iTunes. In the iTunes store. Well, Paul, you, you, while I'm thinking about it, you you were saying you're using the uh, Gordon West information over there. I used his uh, code tapes for the uh, code portion when I took my novice, novice license. There wasn't much of a theory test, but uh, how are those? Uh, how are those theory tapes? I don't have any of the tapes. The only thing that came with the book was a. Um uh, VHF, UHF propagation CD. It's like a one-hour course on VHF, UHF propagation. So I've listened to that a few times. You like listening to those Linux podcasts. You told us about your file server and stuff, but what kind of stuff do you run on your machine? On the Linux machines that I have around here, I run um, I have one downstairs in the basement for when I'm doing my homework to research stuff that I might need for homework I have email programs um, at church we actually my dad's the network administrator and the pastor so we had a Linux file server up there before we switched to a MyoNet server the neat thing about Linux is you can basically do a lot of stuff like track stuff on the network throughout the building that you can't do in Windows. It's got a lot of network programs, which is neat. Father's a pastor. Boy, when when you get your license, he's really going to be tickled with you when he finds out how many missionary programs are uh, really heavily stocked with amateur radio operators. Some of the places they go, they that's the only way they have uh, 
to be able to communicate back and forth uh, back home. I know when he was a kid, he didn't do anything with radios, but he did build a lot of Heathkit stuff. He and his dad built a Heathkit color TV with like 26 tubes in it. They've also built like, they had a dark room where they did, where they developed pictures. They built a binary calculator with a bunch of lights and stuff. So he didn't do a lot with radio, but he did have a lot of people in the neighborhood that talked on ham radio. Russ, have you got anything else you want to want to put to Paul before we uh, kind of wrap her up? So I guess your preferred distribution is Ubuntu. You said that, right? Um, actually, getting into Linux Mint, I prefer Linux Mint now over Ubuntu. Another Minter. Well, you get all the good codecs that way. Well, all right, Paul. We sure appreciate you coming by. Why don't you, uh, why don't you give everybody, uh, your information on the podcast and, uh, tell them how they can, uh, hook up over and, and listen to you as you progress towards getting your license. My podcast URL is just teenradiojourney.com and you can also email me at paul at teenradiojourney.com and right now you can find it in the iTunes store and last time I checked that's the third one on Google or either that or the first one so you can just Google Teen Radio Journey Podcast and you'll find it. Do you have any words for... uh for some of the teens out there that are interested in um, in uh, probably pursuing amateur radio before we take off? And talk to someone about it, because there's definitely a lot of people that are into it. I read in the Gordon West book that there's over 650,000 just in the United States, so there's got to be someone somewhere that you could talk to about it. We control the world from behind the scenes. One penguin at a time. all right paul well thank you for coming by and y'all y'all go listen to paul's show because it it, it's bound to be a humdinger and uh i'm sure it's got a lot of really good information thank you paul thanks paul for coming by thanks for having me anytime it's good to have you all righty that pretty much wraps it up for this episode uh we'd like to thank paul from over at teen radio journey for coming on board and talking with us this evening y'all check out paul's site over at www.teenradiojourney.com he has a fairly impressive uh wordpress blog going on over there with uh, a really good list of uh, other amateur radio podcasts uh, if you want to go ahead and skip that particular uh, direction, then go on over to iTunes and, and check it out. Type in uh, Teen Radio Journey, and you ought to be able to find his podcast over there. This is KB5JBV. If y'all want to talk, y'all want to send me an email, uh, you want to cuss me, talk bad about me, and don't be sending emails over to Russ about how bad I am. Send them over to me because I think you're scared. Send them to KB5JBV at BlackSparrowMedia.com. That is KB5JBV at BlackSparrowMedia, one word, dot com. Or you can follow me on Twitter. I am KB5JBV at Twitter, Identica, uh, Facebook, and 450,000 other locations near you. We don't even charge a franchise fee. Or visit forums over at BlackSparrowMedia.com. There's forums over there for uh, Linux in the Ham Shack and Resident Frequency. And for those of y'all who keep bringing it up, there will be a Resident Frequency out. 
really soon, probably before this one's issued. So y'all hang in there for that. I've decided who I'm going to get my hands on this time, so y'all get ready. I know y'all like those grappy ones. So with that, let me throw it over to Russ so he can give y'all all his information. All right. You can email me at k5tux at blacksparrowmedia.com. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com stroke Woodman. You can use J.R. Woodman to follow me on Identica and Ping.fm and FriendFeed and all those other things out there. Social networking sites galore. Make sure to stop by and check out the website at BlackSparrowMedia.com stroke LHS. Leave a comment or a question and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Post a comment over at BlackSparrowMedia.com in the forums. Make sure to check out TeenRadioJourney.com and listen to Paul's adventure and getting his ham radio ticket. Check out Linux Mint. Make sure to visit us at Ohio Linux Fest at the end of September, if you can. See if you can pick up some of that official Linux in the Ham Shack swag. And I think that's about it. Oh, and make sure to check out the new feature over at the website, the streaming media, both the music and the archival episodes of Linux in the Ham Shack and the special content. I think that's about it. So we'll send it back over to North Central Texas to wrap this thing up. Make sure y'all look for the mean-looking guy with the with the blaring speakers out at Ohio Linux Fest. That will be Russ. Or look for the guy with the really big mouth down in Belton. That'll be me. But with that, from the bunker down here in Balt Springs, Texas, or in some cases from high top the Bailey Thornhill building in beautiful downtown Balt Springs, Texas, this is KB5JBV. And from the beautiful Pine Forest in north-central Arkansas, this is Russ, K5TUX, and we will catch you all next time. <laughs>